2 Corinthians 13. We're about to wrap up this marvelous book. I want to pick up chapter 13. Let me read it, and then we'll jump into the subject of the peril of self-deception. The peril of self-deception. This is the third time I am coming to you. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. I warned those who sinned before and all the others, and I warn them now while absent, as I did when present on my second visit, that if I come again, I will not spare them. Since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me, he is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, indeed, you fail to meet the test. Now, what's interesting is the false apostles were persuading some in the church to question the Apostle Paul's authority as an apostle. Uh, they drew questions. He's not the real thing. And so they came in with another gospel, another Christ, another spirit, and they got Paul on trial, as it were. We're judging you. We're judging you. Paul turns it. I'm coming for the third time. I've warned you about the sin among you. I've warned you about the murmuring, the immorality, and all that. I'm coming. And by the way, it's time for you to judge yourself. Quit judging me. I am the true thing. I am a true apostle. You need to examine whether you are a true follower. And it goes this way. Uh, if the false teachers can convince the Corinthians Paul is a false apostle and they are the real thing, if they can convince the Corinthians they believe the wrong gospel and they've got the true gospel, which is Christ, maybe, plus a whole lot of works, uh, then that church is thrown in disarray. Nobody knows if they're saved or not. Because I believe the message of a false apostle. I believe the false message. So they're constant. And Paul says, I'm coming back for the third time. I've written to you 29 chapters, more than any other church in the New Testament. And when I come back, I won't be timid. I won't be super humble. I'm coming in the boldness of an apostle. And I'm going to use the authority God gave me to deal with you. So he's taking on a critical group in the church. Many have never repented of their sin, 
And he's saying, I challenge you this. Are you truly in the faith? Have you examined yourself? And in the churches all across America, you ask the question, how many in that congregation are truly saved? Can you really know? Can you really know? Is there any difference? I uh, read a report here. It's an old one, uh, but it was back. Barna had taken this on people. To be an American is to be a Christian for some people. Well, I'm an American. That means I'm a Christian. My father asked one of the iron workers he was working with, are you a Christian? And he said, hell yes. <laughs> Isn't everybody? That was his answer. I'm in good standing. I'll cuss a little to prove it. Yeah, that was his reply. Listen to what Barnes says, that uh, in the 1990s, and oh my, these figures have, I know, changed so much. 65% of people in the United States claim to have made a personal commitment to Christ. 60, that'd be over half the country. They must all live in Texas. They don't live in California. You know, the Bible Belt. 85% um, consider themselves to be a Christian. Whether they just come on Easter and Christmas or not, I'm a Christian. Whatever that is, I'm a Christian. Um, so you've got all of this going on. Then you've got people in the church uh, that use this. J.D. Greer has written a little book. Manny uh, D'Souza gave it to me. Superb. We all have to get in the bookstore. Stop asking Jesus into your heart is what the name of the book is. He says, I was baptized four times, uh, asked Jesus in my heart at least a hundred times, and never knew I was saved. And he tells the story. He goes to a gym. He's going to do a little pickup basketball. He's there, picks up a game. He happens to be playing with a guy that is a bruiser, tattoos all over his body. And while they're playing, the guy begins to tell of all the women he's sleeping with and bragging about his lifestyle. And after a while, um, he says to Greer, he says, well, are you gonna, aren't you going to witness to me? And Greer was taken back that he even knew such language. What do you mean, witness to you? Uh, I, I, yeah, I guess I am. He said, it's been a long time since anyone's witnessed to me. And he says these words. He said, um, don't worry about me. I went to youth camp when I was 13, and I asked Jesus to come into my heart. I was legit. I became a super Christian. I went to youth group every week. I did the true love waste, the purity commitment thing. I memorized verses, and I went on mission trips. I even led other friends to Jesus Christ. About two years after that, however, I discovered sex. And I didn't like the idea of a God telling me who I could have sex with. So I decided to put God on hold for a while 
and after a while just quit believing in him altogether. I'm a happy atheist now. He then added, but here's what's awesome. The church I grew up in was Southern Baptist. And they taught eternal security. That means once saved, always saved. By the way, talking to Greer, aren't you a Baptist? And Greer just went silent and he thought, a Southern Baptist pastor. I believed in youth camp 20 years ago, and I haven't walked with Christ since, but I got my salvation. Is that guy saved? Don't go there. Might be you. Then, when you read the Roman Catholic rebuttal to the Reformation, they had a meeting of, uh, at the Council of Trent, if you want to go up to Google or anything, and see all the ways they refuted the Reformation. They were against Luther. They were against all justification by faith. And I quote some of their documents uh, from that council. Rome officially holds that no one can know with certainty of a faith that cannot be subject to error, and you cannot know for sure you've obtained the grace of God. They said if anyone says he will for certain with an absolute and infallible certainty have that great gift of perseverance even to the end unless he shall have learned this by a special revelation let him be anathema. No one can know they are going to be in heaven. Roman Catholic position. Because this is a Catholic position. When you baptize your baby, they said they are justified by faith right then. Baptism. Because it gets rid of original sin. You're born a sinner. They're big on that. Augustine taught it. The Bible teaches it. Children are conceived and born in sin. We, you didn't become a sinner. You were born a sinner. And that was Augustine championed that. And he argued against a man named Pelagius who said, no, we become sinners. We're not a sinner until we commit our first sin. Augustine championed, no, we were conceived in sin. We were born sinners. Just give us enough time. Maybe by two months we'll sin. Your child, I know, went to ten. Most of them learn much earlier. It's just built in, built in. So they said only the church can get you in because after your baptism, once you commit a mortal sin down here, from then on, you're not assured you go to heaven unless the priest gives you the seven sacraments, unless you do penance, unless you do good works, and on and on and on, you cannot know. Matter of fact, you'll still probably have to go to purgatory because you'll be short 
in earning your way to heaven. So that's the Catholic position. You never know that you're going. I am depending on the church. I've got to have confession. I've got to have the aid of the church. So instead of Christ alone saves, they say Christ plus the church saves. Um, then you have other groups that say when you get saved, it's not for sure that you'll ultimately be saved. And many of us grew up in those circles. You can get saved, but you're not sure you'll be there because you may backslide in the meantime. You may sin in the meantime. And as I grew up, I had little, no instruction that what do I do when I sin? Do I have to start all over again? Am I unsaved? Simple illustration. I get saved at 14. That was great. It was the summer. Most of our kids got saved in the summer. They didn't have to live it at school. I go back to Helms. I'm in the ninth grade, and me and the guys stood at the gate, and we would do cut lows, and we'd make comments to whoever, and, and the guy walks through, and I just cuss him good to prove that we were still friends. Okay, wasn't mad. I just cussed him. Boom, it goes off of me. I get away and say, oh, I must be unsaved. Christians don't cuss. Unless you have Ten Valley Bible. So I'm thinking, oh, I must be unsaved. So guess what I did? I just backslid. I stayed out of church the next five months. I don't want to be a hypocrite. I said, I, I met Christ, and here I am cussing. Because I never thought you would ever sin once you receive Christ. Have any of you found out different? If you say you're without sin, the truth is not in you. First John 1. But you've got to tell that baby Christian, you, you're not lost. You don't have to get saved again. You don't have to start over again. You've got to confess it, pick up. And go on, go on. Now, let's look at what Jesus said in Matthew. Matthew chapter 5 begins the greatest sermon in history, no doubt, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus goes in the chapter 5, and he's going after external righteousness, what the Pharisees taught. You've got to look good on the outside. And so they'd say this, uh, you, uh, we know adultery's wrong, but you can mentally have all the sex with other women you want. Jesus said, no, 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 no. What I offer in righteousness moves to the heart. It's not just external, I don't do it. I don't even lust after them. That'd be quite a message for our day when 70% of evangelical men view pornography once a week. 70%. Then you go over here and say, uh, I don't murder people. I just hate them. And Jesus said, I'm offering a righteousness. You don't even hate people. Not just externally 
eliminate them. And so he goes, he said, unless you have a righteousness that exceeds that of the Pharisees, a righteousness that works from the inside out, that deals with motive, deals with the mind, deals with intentions of the heart, he said, you don't have a righteousness that will let you go to heaven and that you know me. Chapter 6, he teaches us how to pray. He tells us not to worry. Chapter 7, he starts concluding the sermon. He does a little tirade on judging. Quit judging people. Uh, and he takes the uh, humorous metaphor, if you've got a problem as big as a log in your eye, don't be trying to correct people with smaller problems. Quit judging them. Quit judging them. Who, who may judge yourself, not them. Then he goes on, and he begins to tell a story, an analogy of a tree. Very simple illustration. He says, by the way, how do you know, what do you know about a plant? Uh, if you're not a farm boy, that I am not. Uh, my father was so good because he, he knew country, knew the San Joaquin Valley. He could tell you what kind of trees it was, just so you could look at them by the leaves and that type of thing. Well, most of us, let's say if you didn't know, you would know by the product. Okay, this must be a thistle bush because it bears thistles. Real simple, you get that. This must be an apple tree because it has apples. And so he said, you know a tree, what a man or woman really is by the products in their life. Well, what's being produced? Okay, so... He evaluates them that way, and then he goes to this little thing in verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, Adonai, Adonai, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he's taking on the religious verbiage of the day. Lord, Lord, woo, they must have been catechized. They must have grown up in the synagogue. They know how to call God by the right names. Lord, Lord, pretty good language. You're taking a secular place. I can't imagine Many secular people ever calling God Lord, Lord. They may take his name in vain, and they may be damning things in the name of God, but they're not going around saying, Lord, Lord, you're wonderful, Lord, you're great. No, no, no. These people are religionists, very religious. Watch. On that day, many will say to me, now he just said, that the road to eternal life is narrow and few there be that find it. But the way to destruction is broad and many find it. Isn't that odd that Jesus would say that? Have you noticed that in your neighborhood? It's the few that are saved. What about your family tree? Few. The many aren't. Jesus said that, and he didn't say, I'm so frustrated with trying to save people. No, no, he said, no, this is the way it will be. Few, if you're among the few, you need to praise God, thank God, and dance that he made you his own child. Yeah. Well, 
he goes into this then. Uh, many will say, Lord, Lord, did we not run a pool hall in your name? Now, prophesy is pretty heavy business. Have you ever done it? I mean, for the Jewish person, they thought of the prophets. Wait, wait. You prophesy? You, you said things, thus saith the Lord. I'm speaking as a voice of God. You prophesy. Maybe you would even think they preached, they taught in the name of God. Mm, mm. They probably were reverends. They probably rabbis. Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Wait, wait, and cast out demons in your name. Has any here ever cast out a demon? I don't see any takers. Have you ever been around a demon-possessed person? Yeah. They cast out demons. Do you remember what Jesus said? Your sons cast out demons, and you say the finger of God is with them. But when I cast out demons, you say I do it by Satan. For this blasphemy, you have committed an eternal sin. I mean, this is heavy. And, and you've done many mighty works in your name. But I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Are you here? you got to know all the right language. I, I know some people going to hell that will fight with me over their doctrines. I called a woman one time that was half drunk. She cussed me saying she was saved. Don't you da, 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 tell me I'm not saved. i got my eternal security, you so-and-so. Ah, she had to cuss to prove that she really was in eternally secure. We got all this stuff going on in the church. I'm living with my girlfriend. I just recently, uh, this gal uh, goes to another church and uh, does this, loves that church, and boom, just got on the plane with her boyfriend and just spend all the weekend there, get a hotel, sleep together all weekend. My standing's good. It's all a part of my Christianity. I don't need a God telling me who I can sleep with. This is American Christianity. That's why it's a miracle churches like us even exist. Because you're saying, I wouldn't attend that church if I didn't believe the Bible. I'm not going to let a preacher tell me what I can do. I'll buy George. I'll get me a preacher and tell stories and leave my life alone. But if you're a Bible lover, you know God's Word is the final authority. Not me. You can get another pastor. You can get another church. But you can't get another Bible. And you can't get another God. He makes the rules. Now, now, let's, after all that, let's examine yourself and myself. And, and I've got just one point today. Jesus Christ alone saves. Isn't that simple? Uh, Jesus Christ alone will save you. Look at Romans 4. What other book will make it clear? Romans 4. He's talking about Abraham. 
And there's three things I want you to get from this verse. Three things. To him who does not work. Number one. Listen to verse four. We pick it up. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as is due. If you work for it, I owe it to you. And to the one who does not work. That's number one. Number two, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. That's two. His faith is counted, imputed, put to his credit as righteousness. Their lawless deeds in seven are forgiven. Verse eight, God doesn't even charge them for their sins. Christ became what I was, my sin. I become what he is, his righteousness. This exchange. He becomes what I was as my substitute. And I have become what he is. His righteousness is put to my credit. Three things. To him who does not work. Listen to me. What are you trusting to get you to heaven? What work are you counting on? What are you relying on to get you to heaven? Uh, you, the best you do is filthy rags. There is nothing you can do to earn eternal life. The work has to be done by Jesus Christ and him alone. Two, all that is asked is that you believe in the Lord Jesus. Now, let me say this. Faith does not save, but what faith receives. By faith, it's the hand, the empty hand. Nothing in my hand to thee I bring, the, the songwriter wrote. Jesus said, I am eternal life. I am the bread of life. I am the water of life. He that believeth. He that believeth, and there's your hand. The hand is, he will receive me as water, receive me as the bread from heaven. He who believes. But believing is not what saves. It's the instrument that lays hold of the Savior. Christ alone saves. Faith does not save. But it's the instrument. Faith alone in Christ alone, by God's amazing grace alone, he saves. You see, Christ plus nothing equals going to heaven. Just wake up. I want you to hear this. You've got to get this. You've got to get this or go to hell. I mean this. If you get mixed up on this, this is not a message. I'm just teaching you what the Bible says. You must understand this. At the time that Luther studied this, he was a devout Augustinian monk. He was condemned. He fasted. He slept on plywood. He, he went to confession sometimes three to four hours a day. And Splatton, his confessor, the priest who heard his confessions in the monastery, said, Martin, what are you doing here again today? You, you were with me yesterday for three hours. You told me all your sins and faults because he never could find peace with God 
by being a devout religious man. It was not until he found out I can have God's gift, not by fasting, not by praying, but by believing that he gave me the gift in his son. It, I received the gift. Christ alone can save you. And when you believe, he said, it will be counted unto you for righteousness. He, now, the word justification, I just, people, that word, just anything over two syllables in our day is confusing, you know. Uh, justification, here it is. It means to be righteous with God. Dikaios, Greek. Justifier, Latin Vulgate. Comes over to English, justification, justifier, right from the Vulgate. It means to be in a right standing with a living God. How can you ever be right before a holy God? Only when you put your faith in his son will he give you a right standing before him. There it is. Is that simple enough? When you take Christ, God says, I'm going to exchange your filthy garments of your sinful life. And in that moment, I am going to clothe you, Galatians 3.26, I'm going to clothe you in the righteousness of my son so that from now on, I'll treat you like I treat my son. You don't get it. You'd be shouting and jumping the pews. God treats you like he treats Jesus. I've already died with Christ. I've been buried with him. I've been raised with him. I've already died for my sins in the person of my substitute. Now, whether you believe it or not would determine where you go to heaven or not. He is our righteousness. We have not, religion is not signing up for a bunch of works and hope at the end you were good enough to go to heaven. He saves you while you're ungodly. There are no preconditions for being saved, but coming. And when, uh, let me tell you the things I hear uh, in, in church life about how to be saved. Uh, did you repent? Uh, how much repentance? How much repentance? Repentance doesn't save. It will happen to those that get saved. He made, Luther said, we once believe we forever repent. The whole Christian life is a life of repentance. We're always repenting, are we not? Are we not confessing our sins? But don't tell me all the stuff I got to do before I'm saved. Listen to me, church. Quit telling young people, quit telling adults, what all you got to do to be saved? You need the Savior, Christ, and he's only received when you admit your poverty, your ungodliness, and you come just as you are. You don't jump any hoops to come to Christ. It's Christ alone that will save you. Christ alone. And I, I hear this, well, i got to be baptized. Water saves nobody. Or uh, uh, I, I raised my hand at youth camp, 13, and I'm riding on that. No, 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 boy, it didn't take. I, I think I, when I counted up, I can remember four distinct times of coming forward to be saved. Four times. 
One time I was with my brother Long Beach and nearly drowned, and thank God my brother was there. I thought he'd hold me under, but he did pull me up. And, but I cried out to God before his hand grabbed me. You know, if you will spare my life, I'll live for you. Within three days, I was back to cussing. I was back to the old life, but I was scared to death. I knew I'd go to hell. But I was in many a meeting where my heart would be moved and stirred, and I went forward. And I was sincere about it. For some reason, it didn't take. I shed tears. I was, I was always aware of hell. And you grew up in my house and you heard about prophecy all the time, and Jesus is coming, and the lake of fire, and Armageddon. Believe me, friend, I was aware judgment was coming. I need to be scared. I knew I was unsaved. But I went, and I always wondered, why didn't it take? Why do I keep going back? I was afraid to become a Christian, because I, I grew up with people, they were strict. They were old-time Pentecostals. We didn't wear makeup. We didn't go to shows. Uh, we didn't chew, and we didn't go with the girls that did. I mean, we had all these standards, all these lifestyle issues, and that was okay, that's okay. But I, to me, I had to do all that in order to really be saved. You're not saved based on any of that. You're not saved if you raise your hand today to say you want to be saved. Unless your hand takes hold of Christ, you won't be saved. You need Christ. You need Christ. No precondition. I, uh, even our faith is a gift. Don't make it a condition. He calls us to believe, but faith. But when you read the Ephesians 2, the gift of God is a salvation that includes faith. He enabled a dead man to get out of the coffin and to embrace Christ. How do dead men believe? Tell me. God has to resuscitate us. He has to give us the life to even receive his son. Preconditions. Um, you know, a lot of churches today, if we were biblical, we'd have a Friday night circumcision service. That's what he told him in Galatians. If you say a man has to be circumcised to be justified, you have made the cross of Christ of no effect. But you see, that was taught in the early church. We kind of laugh at it because it doesn't even touch us. Wait, wait, wait. I, I just received Christ. No, no, no. That won't get you to heaven. Have you been circumcised? Oh, by the way, have you changed your diet? Have you given up bacon? Have you gone kosher? said, no, I haven't. said, you're not saved. You're not saved. And I think of um, uh, it is so easy in every church group to start adding the hoops, adding the other thing. Uh, You've got to look this way. You've got to act this way. You've got, well, not, wait. You've got to be, where I went to school, you've got to be Republican. I knew one Democrat in Dallas. If you're a Republican in Contra Costa, you just don't tell anyone. Oh, yeah, we got all these measurements. How could you? How could you? Who saves? See, 
I'll give you an example. We started this church the 60s, winding down. We started 71. Kids are still doing drugs. Most kids still at immoral lives, all this. And here I came out of a, a strict background. And so uh, uh, Carolyn, on the way home, we laugh about this now, says, I don't think any of those kids are saved. They don't look like us. They don't act like us. Michael, many, hickeys all over the neck, no morals, no anything. And knock off a joint before you go in for the Bible study. You know, it gets you in the mood, honey. Kind of, I'm in the mood for the word. I'm high. Okay, okay. Uh, go in there. And I coming out of this background of a lot of uh, do's and don'ts and whatever, Saved, many saved people, but a lot of young people washed out. They couldn't do the do's and the don'ts. You see, God doesn't save people because they keep rules. God doesn't save people because they keep... Young people, get me straight. You heard me say that. And you know what? I knew most of these kids lived a lifestyle out. I didn't know where they were, really. But I said to myself, the gospel either saves and cleanses the life up, or it doesn't. And if it doesn't, I'm going to get out of the religion business. This is it. Because he said, the grace of God teaches you to live godly and holy. Titus 2, 11, 12 through 14. And I thought, Lord, Valley's going to be my laboratory to see, is it legalism that changes you? Is it a bunch of do's and don'ts and religious works? Or is it Christ alone that once he's trusted, will he change the life? Had a gal come to me and said, your dress offends me. I said, well, you, I didn't know I dressed that provocative. Because I wore suits in those days and, you know, tie and I dressed like, and she said, that offends me. And I said, and why is that? She said, you look like the establishment. And we're in a dance hall, whatever. And I looked at her and I said, well, you look like the mamas and the papas. Because she wore moo-moos, big girl. She's rocked in there in a moo-moo. But she was sincere about it. She said, you look too conservative for all of us wild kids. Different lifestyle, all of that. But I just kept preaching Romans, the grace of God. And God changed them without a rule. The Spirit of God the real Christ changed them. You didn't change them. I didn't change them. God changed them. We don't think God can carry through. What people need is Christ alone saves. Jesus saves. Not your faith, not your repentance, not your lordship. Jesus saves. None of your works. He enables you to believe. He enables you to repent. He enables you to want to follow. But quit saying that's what saved. Jesus saves. 
My father used to tell the story. He was in the San Joaquin Valley, landed there in 36, moved up to the Fresno area about 42. My sister Ruth was born in Clovis, but he moved out to work on a dam, the Friant Dam, and they, they were just squatters uh, at the foot of that dam, took their baths in the San Joaquin River, poor white trash, poor Okies, grapes of wrath people. And uh, went to this little church, and they finally grew enough. They thought, we need to join this certain organization. And uh, so the superintendent of this group that they were going to join up with came out, observed the church, and looked at it and see if they were uh, qualified to be a part of their denomination. And uh, the superintendent met with the pastor, and he said, uh, you know, I, I notice your women don't wear hose. This 1942. Anybody know about Fresno, California? Did you know it gets hot? There's a boy who grew up in Fresno. 110 degrees or 105 in the summer. Ha has anybody here ever got close to picking cotton? I mean, get close. There's a few. It's a brutal thing. It's so hard on the... Now, now imagine, he's got a church full of farmers, church full of folks picking fruit, doing cotton. Could you imagine what it would do to a pair of hoes? <laughs> Working out there in 105 degrees, picking cotton. And now this guy says, I'm not sure of your standing before God. And the pastor, he thought about it. He said, you know, sir, the God I serve saved him without hose. <laughs> and we'll just trust him to get us all the way. See, we're always trying to clean up, folks. You can't clean me up. You can't clean up the rebel. Jesus alone cleanses. Jesus alone saves why don't we get them to Jesus? Get them to Jesus. Oh, you're on drugs? Oh, you're a great candidate, you godless, wretched old sinner, you. Are you immoral? Well, welcome. Uh, he saves sinners. It doesn't matter what brand you are. Are you godless? Y yeah, yeah, but uh, I'm going to clean up. You can't clean up. You're, you're just, you're, you're filled in his sight from the crown of your head to the sole of your feet. Why don't you just simply say, just as I am, without one plea, but that your blood was shed for me. Why don't you say with Toplady, could my tears forever flow? These for sin could not atone. Thou must save, thou alone. Why don't you come with the old hymn that said, all you need to do is feel your need of him. Come. Come. Jesus is saying, come. It's Jesus you need. Not our membership class. Not our baptistry. Not all the rules. Anathema on the rules. The rules have saved nobody. They didn't save Israel. They won't save you. I don't have to vote conservative to go to heaven. 
I could actually take a nip of wine. But I grew up, you can't do that. You can't do this. You can't do that. You can't. I appreciate that part. But you know what? I still like to listen to rock and roll. You're going to go to hell. Now I'm so saved, I listen to it once in a while. I actually heard Waylon sing Lucille yesterday. <laughs> kind of made my day. I'm free. I'm forgiven. I am judgment proof now. I, I'm, I'm in his son. And anything he could do to his son, he can do to me. I said, anything he could do to the son, he could do to me. But he said, in him, all I got is blessing. In him, I won't condemn you. In him, I won't bring up all the sins you did in your youth. In him, I will never charge you for your sins. That's what he said. He said, David said it. Blessed is the man you don't charge with sin. Who in the world is that? The man in Christ. He's already charged Jesus. I wish you believed this gospel enough. This would turn us into an evangelistic church because we'd have some good news to share and not other ways to condemn people. Don't bring them down here to condemn them. They're already condemned. They need a Savior. They need a Savior. Anybody here know you're going to heaven? Anybody? Anybody here perfect in their own righteousness? No. No. Grab that hand. Get that woman. Anybody saying, I will be there, glory to his name, because of his righteousness. Christ alone, Christ alone. AJ, Christ alone can save you. Not going to this church, not having a grandpa that's a preacher. Jesus alone saves little boys. Jesus alone will save you. Jesus, Jesus, I give you Jesus. It's simple. I got to say this. I just thought of it. When Spurgeon was caught in a snowstorm in London, yet unsaved, Calvinistic father and grandfather, but he was unsaved. A brilliant young boy, read so many Puritans. He said he was just read, read. But he wasn't saved and caught in that snowstorm. A Methodist lay preacher, the pastor didn't make it because of the storm. And this Methodist layman got up and he began to preach Isaiah. Look unto me, all ye ends of the earth, and be saved. Look unto me, all the earth. And he brought about when Moses put up the brazen serpent and said, if you've been bit by a snake, look at this pole and you'll be healed. And the whole human race was bit by the serpent in the garden. We've all been bitten. We've all been corrupted. We're dying. We're dying. And he said, if you can look, if you can look. And I just thought, we're offering courses on which eye is it, the right eye, the left eye. Special ways to, no, 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 no. Have you been bitten? Has sin touched you? Look unto me, all ye. And he said, it was a little meeting that night, and a poor layman didn't know. He looked at the boy, Charles, said, Charles, 
Son, it doesn't take much to look. Why don't you look? Why don't you come? Why don't you drink? I offer you eternal life in Jesus. And you know what? I won't be accountable for saving any of you today. I can't get you forward. I can't do that. I can tell you the way you can go to heaven. Jesus alone will get you there if you put your faith in him.